Amen. Well, good morning, church. Hey, we're glad you joined us here. I'm excited to get into God's Word with you. But first, if you need a Bible, why don't you raise your hands? We'll, uh, our ushers will bring a Bible around to you so you can follow along. This morning, we're in Psalm 103, so you can go ahead and turn to Psalm 103. Hey, I'm not sure if you realize this or not, but Thanksgiving is coming up next week. And with Thanksgiving on the horizon, I thought it might be appropriate today that we take a look at a psalm that's full of reasons to give thanks. So let's open to Psalm 103. The title of my message today is Forget Not. Because unfortunately, we are forgetful creatures. We forget things so easily, but I'm hoping that today we will forget not the blessings and the benefits of the Lord. Psalm 103 is a psalm written by David, one of the greatest worshipers perhaps in the entire Bible. And so again, my hope today is that Psalm 103 will stir up within each of us a remembrance of the many reasons that we have to praise and bless the Lord today. So God, as we were just praying, I do pray that you would, Lord, enlighten us to the truths of your word today, that we may remember your goodness, we will remember your love, Lord, we will remember the benefits of being a child of God. Speak to our hearts today. Lord, we ask you to bless our time spent in your word. Show us something that we each need to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, in Psalm 103, verse 1, David starts by saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, when you first read this verse, it might seem interesting that David would tell his own soul to bless the Lord. You know, they say that talking to yourself can be a sign of genius. Or at least that's what people keep telling themselves. <laughs> hey, did you hear about the surgeon who was about to perform his first surgery? The patient was lying on the table waiting for the anesthesiologist to come in. When the doctor grabbed the patient's hand, he took a deep breath. The surgeon said, don't worry, Richard. This is no big deal. Just a few cuts here and there. It'll all be over before you know it within the hour. Later today, you're going to be home resting and watching the big game before you know it. And that's when the patient said, "Uh, my name isn't Richard. (laughs) To which the surgeon replied, oh, I'm just talking to myself. (laughs) It's a little delayed there. (laughs) You know, sometimes we all just need a little pep talk, don't we? And then sometimes the best pep talk just needs to come from within. As I was preparing my message for today, one of the things I hoped to do was to stir up within you a heart of praise, to stir up within you the desire to truly want to bless the Lord today with all that's within you, your entire being, your entire soul. But the more I thought about it, the more I realized I don't think I'm the one who can truly do that. And I think David knew that praising the Lord was meant to be a very personal experience. David knew that there was a personal responsibility on his part to bless the Lord from within. To bless the Lord, here it literally means to bless, to kneel, or to praise. See, it speaks of an absolute praise and worship. It's attention that we put upon God. It's a devotion at its deepest level. It's recognition of who God is. It's bowing down to His sovereignty. 
It's giving him our highest praise, telling him how good he is, telling him why we believe he's so good, not in order to puff him up and make him feel better or to cross off our list, but it's a dire cry from within that expresses our deepest gratitude, thanks, and adoration. See, it's letting God know how much he means to us. Now, as your worship leader, I can stand up here every week from behind a guitar and microphone, and I can say, hey, come on, guys, let's bless the Lord. But then that would be more of a command on my part for you to get engaged when in reality the best exhortation that any of us can have is the exhortation that we can give ourselves. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. See, he's speaking to his innermost being. This is an attempt for David to awaken, to arouse every ounce of passion that's inside of him in order that he will praise and bless the Lord. This word here, soul, speaks of the housing of the appetite, the emotions and passions. It includes all the activity of the mind, of the will, and of a person's character. See, this desire is seen in his cry right here when he says, Let all that is within me praise the Lord. Let my entire being praise. Praise the Lord. Let my whole heart praise the Lord. Let my very soul praise and bless the Lord. That's because David realized that true worship comes from the soul. True worship is not an outward impression, but rather it's an inward expression of the state of our heart. What is the cure for half-hearted worship? We must come to God with wholehearted devotion. Did you know that we can enter into worship and forget to bring our hearts? Again, David says, Let all that is within me bless the Lord, and this includes our hearts. See, we can't rely on the worship leader to get us into a place of worship. We can't rely on a perfect set of songs to get us to where we can just let go. We certainly can't rely on perfect pitch or in-tune instruments. We need to know or maybe remind ourselves that our worship is our worship. I am responsible for whether or not I enter into worship each week. Now to bless the Lord, we might think shouldn't be a difficult task to do, yet David tells his soul to bless the Lord here six times in Psalm 103. Six times! Look down at what David immediately says in verse 2. He starts out saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. But then he goes into verse 2, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Once a man went to his doctor and said he'd been forgetting things more frequently. So his doctor asked him, well, how long has this condition been happening? To which the man replied, what condition? See, we humans are forgetful creatures, aren't we? Hebrew poetry used repetition for emphasis, and rightly so. We could all use a constant reminding of the things that are most important to us. The Hebrew word here for forget, it means to lose memory of, but it also means it translates to the word ignore or to cease to care about. Wow, let that sink in for a second. I don't think any of us here have truly ignored God, or at least intentionally, but it is possible that we at times maybe become desensitized in many ways to God's works, perhaps to the point where we overlook His works in our life. 
See, it's not so much that you just forget that the Lord was good, but now circumstances of life have crept in and they've stolen our joy. Now think about what this looks like in your life for just a minute. Things are happening. They're falling into place. Work is good. Family is good. You're loving life right now. But then you get that unexpected bill or that emergency room visit. Or you run out of gas on the side of the road. And you know what? Just like that, the benefits of the Lord are gone from our minds. How many times have you prayed heavily for something? God delivered, and then you forgot to thank Him for it. I've done that. See, there are things that take our attention off of God, and when we become focused on fixing those problems, we, what do we do? We end up forgetting. But we need to forget not the Lord's benefits Not just some of his benefits, but all of his benefits. Deuteronomy 4.9 cautiously addresses our forgetfulness. It says, Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. So perhaps, perhaps, if anyone here today has forgotten what their eyes have seen of the Lord, May we be quick to recall them, lest they begin to depart from our heart. You know, one of the easiest and fastest ways to forget the Lord and His benefits is to take our eyes off of Him. And I think that's one of the reasons that David says here six times, Bless the Lord, O my soul, because he knew he needed to keep his eyes on God so he wouldn't forget. Forget not all His benefits. Lord, give me eyes to see you and a mind that remembers. I love Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's one of my favorite passages, and here's why. In Deuteronomy 6, God's people were instructed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now this might seem a little bit excessive, but is it really? See, it's no wonder these instructions are so specific. First of all, do you love the Lord your God? with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Because if you do, you're going to place these words in your heart. You'll teach them diligently to your children. You'll talk about these words when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking down the street, when you lie down in your bed at night, when you rise up in the morning. You'll bind them as a sign on your hand and place these words between your eyes. You'll put these words on your doorpost of your house and at the end of your driveway where you can see them literally everywhere you go. Now, why on earth would God's people need such reminders? Because we forget. The number one commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with everything that's inside of you. This is what worship looks like. To love Jesus with all my heart, with all my soul, with everything that I do. Bless the Lord with all that is within me. Now, if this is the greatest commandment that God has given me, then this is my number one purpose that I have in life. And if this is my purpose, then I think this might be something I make sure I don't forget. 
See, one of the best ways to combat forgetfulness is repetition. One of the best ways to combat forgetfulness is repetition. (laughs) See what I did there, huh? When something becomes routine, it becomes habit. But I want to have Jesus on my mind, my heart, my soul, all day long, all day, every day. Hey, how many times have you walked into the kitchen just to forget what you went in there for? How many times did you wake up at night to remember what you forgot earlier that day? Or like me, how many times have you strolled through the grocery store on your way home from work and just totally forgot what you needed? See, we need help remembering, and that's why David made a list. Forget not the Lord's benefits. In fact, he says, I'm going to make a list for you, which we'll get to in just a minute. But I want to encourage you with something first today. Go home and make a list. I would tell you to do it next week at the Thanksgiving table, but I'm afraid you're going to forget. (laughs) But sit down this week or today with your family and make a list. Begin to list all these things out loud, all the Lord's benefits that you can think of. In fact, take turns going around a dinner table and let each person in your family add to that list. But then write those things down. Take this verbal list, put it on paper so you won't forget. And then next week at the Thanksgiving table, break out this list and begin to give thanks, a heartfelt thank you for what God has done in your life and in the life of your family. Because I think you'll find yourself at the end of this list saying, Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Thank you, Lord, for your great benefits, for your wonderful blessings. You know, we make lists so we can remember, right? When I go into the store without a list, I walk out of the store with about 47 items that I don't need. I walk out thinking I've just purchased enough groceries to last for two weeks, when in reality I've walked out with a cart full of nothing but dessert. I'm not even sure how it happened. All I know is I get home and the first thing I tell my wife is, please stop sending me to the store. (laughs) But when I walk into the store with a list, suddenly I'm on a mission. I walk in with a plan and I start storming down every aisle, knocking old ladies out of the way. (laughs) Not, Not really, okay. But seriously, that's why I disguise myself when I go into the store. I dress up like Pastor Andrew. But let me tell you, blessing and praising and worshiping the Lord should be done with the same intent that when you come before the Lord with thanksgiving and praise, it needs to be done with such purpose that you're coming with a list of things that are already on your mind as to why you're there in the first place. Sometimes routine can get us in the other direction. We get so used to things that we just forget. Imagine. Imagine now that I walk up to my wife to pay her a compliment, and I just say, thank you, to which she would reply saying, for what? First of all, would I have an answer? If not, was my thank you in vain? Was it self-seeking? Was it out of compulsion? Did I even sincerely mean it? But if I were to go to her and say, hey, thank you for getting the groceries today, you saved us $4,000 by not sending me. Or maybe I say, thank you for your loving spirit. You're such a good mother to our children. Now take that same example and apply it to our worship. God, thank you. Well, imagine if he said, for what? 
Would you have an answer? And what would your answer be? See, our worship of the Lord needs to be genuine and it needs to be sincere. And I'm not implying that it isn't. But I just want to remind us all today that it needs to be done with great purpose. Therefore, we can follow David's example here and make a list of the Lord's benefits in your life to help get you started. In 1 Samuel 7, Samuel experienced the Lord's hand upon his people in a mighty way. God defeated Israel's enemy, and this is what we're told. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. You know, when God did something big for his people, it was important enough to make sure that they remembered it. So now every time they looked upon that Ebenezer stone, they remembered how far the Lord had brought them. See, they didn't know what was ahead, but they remembered what was behind. What the Lord had done for them up until this point. And hey, when God does something big in your life, write it down. Make a list. Put it before your eyes. Remember his works and his benefits. Ask yourself, what does my Ebenezer look like? What has the Lord done in my life thus far? What has he brought me through? And then praise him for it. Notice how this line in verse 2, it ends with a colon, and that's because David is about to make his list of the Lord's benefits. Now think about this. If the Lord has benefits, that means there's a beneficiary. And that's you, and that's me. We are his children. We are the beneficiaries of God's benefits. So speaking of his benefits, here's a great place for you to start for your list today. If you're smart, you can copy this for yourself, but check out David's list here in verse 3. He says, Bless the Lord who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. See, David reminds us in verse 3 that it is the Lord who forgives all your iniquities. He forgives your faults. He forgives your wrongs. He forgives your sin, and not just some, but all. That is a very key word here in this passage. God forgives all your iniquities. That should make you happy today. David says in Psalm 32, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Guys, your sins, past, present, and future, have all been covered in forgiveness. I want you to take notice of something else, too. This is the benefit that David listed first. And I think that's because David, of all people, knew the power of God's forgiveness. See, David, who is said to have had a whole heart for God, he allowed himself to succumb to sins as deep as lust, adultery, lying, even murder. He experienced the powerful effects that guilt and shame and even the depravity of God's Holy Spirit have upon someone's life, all due to his sin. See, David knew true forgiveness, and I think that's why he listed it first. Because those who know true forgiveness from God become true worshipers of him. David says in verse 4, Bless the Lord who redeems your life from destruction. Now, I don't know about you, But I can stand here today and honestly say that the Lord has saved me from great destruction in my life. Years ago, the Lord had been trying to get through to me, and he used some family friends of ours to invite us to church. 
a church that I'd never heard of before. It was called Calvary Chapel. It was a small church close to where I lived prior to moving here. And after many invites from our friends, my family and I, we said, you know, let's, let's go check out this church. Although I've got to admit, I didn't have high hopes that I would become someone involved in church. So the Friday night before we decided to attend this church, that Sunday, my friends and I, we were going out to a party, but not before stopping first to grab some alcohol. Now, I was only about 17 at the time, and so were most of my friends. And so what we did was we pulled into this little shopping center that was just adjacent to the gas station where we'd get the alcohol from. And while my friend's older sister, she would go into the store and then buy our alcohol because we were underage. And so while we're waiting and hoping that we wouldn't get busted, I start planning my escape in my head. I said, you know what? If the cops come over... I think we can outrun them in this car. And then I looked at the car and I said, never mind, this car is way too old and busted up. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to leave my friends in the car. I can outrun them. And so I'm going to run over there and I'm going to go into that store right there. And I, I look up and right above the store I was pointing at in that shopping center, it read Calvary Chapel. Right above there. And in that moment, I just knew See, the Lord had been working in my heart prior to that night, telling me that I needed to stop hanging out with those people, stop doing the things I was doing. He was telling me that I needed to get serious about my relationship with him. And for me, that was choosing him and his ways over my friends and the world's ways. He had been showing me just how much he loves me by revealing within me that I was slowly heading down a path of deep destruction. And in that moment, I knew I knew that God was grabbing a hold of my heart, but he did it in such a loving way. He didn't shove church down my throat. He didn't make me feel guilty over my mistakes. He didn't even allow me to get busted for the dumb things I was doing. Instead, as verse 4 points out, he redeemed my life from destruction by crowning me with his loving kindness and his tender mercies. You know, the thing is, I have no clue where my life would be right now if he hadn't stepped in when he did. But I do know that I was heading down a path of destruction. And I also know that he had redeemed me from it. I can stand here and tell you today, although I didn't go as far as to live much of a rebellious life, or maybe I didn't take a path that many of you sit here today having in your past, but I can tell you that God saved me from a path of destruction because I know where I was headed. For me, I can truly say, hey, bless the Lord, oh, my soul. God reached me in a way that he knew I would listen. And and I love how verse 4 describes it. God crowns us with his loving kindness and his tender mercies. Here's what happened. And here's what happens for us. God took the crown of thorns upon himself while crowning me and you with his love and his mercy. The Bible says in Romans 2, Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? See, this verse means so much to me because it's in the hardest times of my life when my iniquities were greatest that God's loving kindness was greater. Nothing will lead you to your knees faster than God's kindness when you don't deserve it. Forget not all his benefits. David continues his list here in verse 6. We bless the Lord because the Lord executes righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses. 
He has acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. See, David reminds us here that God took care of all the needs of the Israelites in the wilderness. He fed them with manna. He gave them water to drink. He supplied them with clothing, with shelter, with a cloud by day and a fire by night so that it would lead them. He even took care of them to the point, we're told in Deuteronomy 25, that neither their clothing nor their sandals wore out on them after 40 years. And yet, how did the Israelites respond to the benefits of the Lord? By complaining, by grumbling, murmuring, backbiting, idolatry, and ingratitude. See, ingratitude will prohibit our praise and thanksgiving 100% of the time. Here's the ingratitude test. You ready? No one's ready. Here goes. This is how you can tell if you're an ungrateful person or a thankful person. You ready? Two people. (laughs) Do you spend more time complaining about your situation rather than thanking God for what he's doing despite the situation? Look, I'm just posing the question. You determine for yourself the answer, but do it honestly and do it fairly. But as you go home today, catch yourself when you start complaining about something and then redirect your words. When you start complaining about the message you heard in church today or the person who gave it. Catch yourself in these moments of complaints today and tomorrow and the next day and next week. And then remind yourself, I have way more reasons to praise the Lord than the reasons that I have to complain. May I not forget your benefits, Lord. Which is why I'm so thankful we're told in verse 8 that the Lord is full of mercy, meaning he saves us from a punishment that we do deserve. He gives us grace, meaning he then gives us blessings that we don't deserve. He's slow to anger and he abounds in mercy. Romans 6.23 makes it very clear. It is our sin that makes us deserving of death and hell. It is God's mercy that saves us from hell. But it is God's grace that offers us heaven. God's grace gives us new spiritual life. For it is by God's grace that we have been saved. God's grace is God's gift to us. Hey, the more we become aware of our sin, the more we become aware of God's grace. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless Him for His works. Bless Him for His mercy. Bless Him for His grace. Bless Him for the gift of eternal life through Christ Jesus, the only means by which we are saved. In verse 9, he says, He will not always strive with us, nor will He keep His anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. Hey, once again, David reminds us that God has chosen not to deal with us according to our sins. Because if He did, we'd all be heading for hell. Therefore, let us not only praise the Lord for what He has done, let's praise the Lord for what He hasn't done. God has not dealt with me according to my sins. Wow. For that, Lord, I'm so thankful. Thank you, God, for your mercy. And when I wonder why I was spared a terrible punishment, it's then that I remember it's because God put my punishment on His Son instead. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In verse 11, For as the heavens are high above the earth, 
So great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgression from us. Now, I don't know the distance from earth to heaven, but I do know that if we tried to measure it, we would find that it's immeasurable. But what a beautiful picture of God's unending mercy that it's truly immeasurable. God's mercies are so great, but notice exactly who they're great towards, towards those who fear him. See, for the unbeliever, there's a fear towards God of his judgment and his eternal death and punishment. But for the believer, the fear of the Lord is a different story. The believer's fear is more of a recognition of God with great reverence and respect for who he is. Deuteronomy 10, 12 says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? So what does God require? That we fear him, that we walk in his ways, that we love him, that we serve him, and that we do it with our whole heart, our entire soul. Kind of reminds you of the first and the greatest commandment, doesn't it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. If you could sum up worship with one Bible verse, perhaps this would be the one. I also know if you travel north long enough, you would eventually hit the North Pole, but then you would start traveling south. And then likewise in reverse. But if you were to start traveling east or west, you would find that the two of those would never meet. In other words, there is no end. We're told that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What a great benefit of Jesus that our past doesn't have to define who we are today. See, many of us are haunted by our past sins. But just as David mustered up this knowledge within himself, within his own soul, there are those of us here today that need to be reminded that God has removed the shackles and the weight of our sin so far as the east is from the west. Listen to what God says about you in Isaiah 43. This is about your sin. He says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. See, we forget the Lord... But we remember our sins. But if God can forget your sins, why can't you? Hey, the next time your sins come up in your mind, you need to remind yourself deep down in your soul that is not God who put those thoughts there. How do I know? Because he has removed them as far as the east is from the west. He forgets them. So you need to stop remembering your sins and rather remember the Lord. David had to remind himself over and over, bless the Lord, oh my soul, bless the Lord. Don't forget his benefits. Don't forget that he's blotted out your transgressions. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I hope you believe that today. Once a man who was near death was asked what he wanted on his tombstone. He was too broke for a fancy burial and an expensive carving. So after thinking briefly, he replied, forgiven. He told them, God has forgiven me of all my sins, and he'll never hear the end of it. See, that's a man who had much to be thankful for, and he was going to let God hear all about it. At the end of his life here on earth, at the end of this life here on earth, we are not defined by our sins. We are defined by God's forgiveness. And may God never hear the end of it. So speaking of the Lord's great care for us concerning our sin in verse 13, 
We're told, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As a father pities his children. Pities literally means to love with compassion. See, this is the God whom we worship. The same God who created the vast universe, the heavens and the earth, the sun, the moon, the stars. This same God who would stoop down to our level as a father who looks upon his children with such a deep love and takes pity upon us with deep compassion for us. Why? Because God knows our frame. He remembers that we are made of dust. See, we need to remember the Lord's benefits and his works and his blessings, but God remembers our frame. We remember his goodness, but God remembers our weakness. Not so he can look down upon us, but so that he can pity us as his children. See, I'm not sure we'll ever fully understand the measurement of God's love. But Paul prays in Ephesians 3 that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ. See, the width of God's love, we see it here today in Psalm 103, that God has removed our sin and transgression as far as the east is from the west. We see the length of God's love in John 3.16 by the fact that he would go all the way to his death upon the cross in order that we might have everlasting love and life. Oh, the lengths that he would go to to show his love for us. We see the depth of God's love in Romans 5 when Paul reminds us, Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love reached the ultimate depth. And then we see the height of God's love in 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. The height of God's love can be measured by the fact that his Son descended his throne to be with us. All of this so that we may know and comprehend the love that Christ has for us. And while God's love for you has definite dimensions, Romans 8 tells us and assures us that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. His love is boundless. His love is endless. His love stops at nothing. His love goes for you goes beyond any border that you can ever think of, and yet God's love for you will break through any barrier just to reach you. That is what a father's love looks like. You know, being a father myself, I've been able to catch just a small glimpse of what the father's love looks like for me. And I can tell you that as a father, I have a love for my children that cannot be described. It's a love that would truly go to any height, depth, length, or width. There have been a few occasions, a couple times where my family and I have been at the park, and suddenly one of my kids, they look up and they can't find mommy or daddy, and you just see them kind of start to panic, and they're looking around and they're losing it. See, from a distance, I see their humanness. I see their frailty. I have pity upon them. Compassion 
born out of my love for them. And as I approach them, I console them and I hug them and I wipe their tears. But then I take time to get down on their level and assure them beyond the shadow of a doubt. Son, daughter, I will never leave you. And if you became lost, I would go to the ends of the earth to find you. I would never stop looking for you. You need to know that. And then I think about God's love for me. That God would go to any distance to save me all the way to the cross. See, that's the love of a father. And as any father would, he knows us better than we might know ourselves. God knows your frame. He remembers that you're made of dust. And yet somehow, for some reason, he still loves us with great compassion. And he never gives up on us, even when we give up on ourselves. Bless the Lord, O my soul, that he remembers my frame. He knows that I'm dust and he cares for me anyway. David wraps up his psalm by imploring all of creation to join in with him in his song. Look at verse 20. He says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, who excel in strength, who do his word, heeding the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you ho- his host, you ministers of his, who do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. As if David is suddenly conducting an orchestra of praise, he calls on the angels to bless the Lord. He cues up the people of God to bless the Lord, all of creation to bless the Lord. But then he ends his psalm of praise full circle, the same way he began, and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Last, but certainly not least. Hey, let me leave you with this thought today. God has gifted each of us with so many of his benefits, the greatest of which being his only son, Jesus. And this Thanksgiving, would you join me in counting out all of God's blessings? But then make a list because we're going to forget. And then use that list as a platform of praise to God with everything that we have in us. See, we as God's people have so much to be thankful for when we realize how much we've been given and forgiven. Because God has gifted us with eternal life, what more can we ask for? And guess what we'll be doing with that eternal life? We'll be worshiping and praising Jesus and saying, Bless the Lord, O my soul. So Lord, we do ask you right now, Lord, remind us of your great benefits. Remind us of all the ways that you have been working in our lives. Lord, remind us of the things we know of and show us the things that we don't. You have such great love for us as a father who pities his children. Lord, thank you that we can become sons and daughters of God. That we can fear you and love you and worship you with our whole lives. God, may we see your goodness today. May we remember your works and truly say, Oh, Lord, bless you from my soul. May my soul bless you, God. God, I pray that we would bring these things to the forefront of our mind, our love for you and all the things you've done for us, and that we would just use those things as a chance to give you praise. Remind us of these things today and this week ahead. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.